Thanks for listening to Hanging With The Sotelos Podcast Con Mama and Dada There's some fast baby Thank you, Ariela. Happy New Year, familia. Feliz Año Nuevo. As you're thinking about what your goals, resolutions, and purpose will be for 2021, we encourage you to first find out what's your why. Your why is what will keep you going regardless of your circumstances. Yes. Your why is what will keep you swimming when everything else in the world is trying to sink you. And it's so important for you to discover what that is for you in your life. Yes. We hope you enjoyed this episode that originally came out a few months ago on discovering your why as we shared and opened up about ours. We will be back with our first new episode of the year next week. And we're going to discuss the importance of writing down your goals, vision, and a plan for 2021. We're going to share ours we're going to be completely transparent. I mean, talking about our mind, our body, spirituality, spirituality, finance. Yes, I and can't wait to many, share. many more. So we're excited to be on this journey with you, familia. And we're excited to see all the blessings that God has for you and your familia. Thanks for being back with us. We are grateful to God for allowing us to hang out with you again. My name is your boy, Edgar. This is my beautiful tapatia wife, Janet. That's me. Hola. 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 So before we dive into my family story, uh, which is pretty crazy. It's amazing. Thank you, love. And before I share some things that I haven't shared with many people publicly, I want to touch on a few important takeaways Hmm. that I hope will inspire you as we go through my family story. Just in case you can't get through the entire podcast, I at least want you to walk away with these three points. Hmm. If this is all you hear, great. I mean, obviously, stick around for the entire podcast, but it's good. <laughs> at least you walk away with this. The first thing is always remember that if you wouldn't have experienced the pain and the struggles in your past, you wouldn't be able to prosper over the problems in your present. Mm, that's good. I truly believe that pain builds endurance and endurance allows you to not quit before your blessing arrives so whatever you're going through right now you've been prepared for this moment thanks to the struggles and the pain that you felt in the past yep other people would have quit by now Mm -hmm. but because of what you've experienced in the past you're not gonna quit you're gonna swim and not sink and therefore you're gonna be around to receive that blessing believe it number two One of the biggest things that will help you overcome any challenge is knowing your why. Your why to me is that unconditional keyword, the unconditional reason for you to want to swim rather than sink. Yeah. No matter what you're going through. I want to ask you, do you know what your why is? Mm. What's that one thing that no matter what you're going through, your why 
is going to push you through it. Mm. In short, I'll share mine, and then you'll hear it throughout my story of my family immigrating from Mexico to the U.S., but to me, my why is that I don't want to allow my parents' sacrifices to be in vain. Quiero que valgan la pena lo que hicieron, lo que sacrificaron. Ellos inmigraron para sobrevivir. Ahora yo tengo que sobresalir. Yep. As an immigrant myself, and my parents being immigrants, they sacrificed a lot to be able to just survive. But I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive so that they know that it was worth it. And I want my daughters and my wife, Janet, you, babe, to be proud of me. And what we're building together yeah. for our future generations. I love that you share these points and we are sharing it with the listeners, but we're also looking at each other like we're, tell we're reminding ourselves, we're telling it to ourselves. You know what has been so amazing about doing this podcast with you who are listening right now is not only have we been able to build such a beautiful community with you and we thank you, we feel the love, we feel yes. the encouragement. Pero ha sido como terapia for you and I, love. Oh, a thousand percent. Thank you. We've been living through the most difficult moments in our life, and this has been therapy. Mm -hmm. So thank you for being here for it. The third takeaway that I want you to take away with you, overall, would you consider yourself a victim or a creator in life? Mm. And I want you to be honest with yourself. Are you part of the problem or the solution in society? As people of color, as Latinos, as immigrantes, we have an added level of pressure to be the solution in this country because we have so many negative stereotypes that we have to break through. Always look down upon. Yep. So in a sense, we start at a disadvantage with people right off the bat that don't really know us. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I'm not complaining about that because that's what I believe has built this amazing work ethic that us immigrants and Latinos have. Mm, yeah. We came to this country with nothing, but became something. El corazón de este país. The heart of this country. Que siempre está palpitando y echándole ganas. Claro. No importa lo que esté pasando. Yeah. And last but not least, I want to share a scripture that has helped us get through a lot of these difficult times. It's Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to fulfill his purpose. It doesn't mean that all things that happen to you are good, mm -hmm. but eventually, con la ayuda de Dios, they will work together for your ultimate good. Like our other favorite scripture, Jeremiah 29 11, for I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you hope, hope and, and a, a future. future. And you know, love, recently I received a message in our DM from one of our listeners of this podcast. She's out of Dallas. Okay. And she recently had a horrible breakup with her boyfriend. They didn't oh. see it coming. And she says that thanks to us sharing Jeremiah 2911 and how we sometimes say it out loud to yeah. ourselves when we're going through a difficult situation. Like, yeah. we got to remember at the end of this, God wants to prosper us. She's been repeating it to herself. <gasps> Good. That's out awesome. Loud. Y recordándose que God has no importa plans. lo que está pasando ahorita. Ella va a prosperar. She's going to make it. Yeah, because God has plans for you, girl. Yes. <laughs> so I know it's a difficult question. Are you a victim or are you a creator? And what I mean by victim is things like shady stuff, horrible things have happened to you in your past. And we don't want to minimize that. But have you become a victim to them and given them more power over your life than it deserves? Ooh. Either that person or that event that happened to you. Huh. Is it still impacting your life today? 
and ruining your life, oy, you're allowing it. You're giving it that power to. And I want to encourage you that. That's deep, love. Whatever that person did to you, whatever that situation is, through the help of God, through therapy, whatever you got to do, friends that support you, you can break those chains and not allow it to hold you back anymore. Yeah. It doesn't deserve that power over your life. Why are you getting teary-eyed? Because I think we've all been through things, babe. Mm. And people at times do horrific things to us Mm -hmm. and to you that are listening. And then they go on about their life, that person that did that thing to you. Mm -hmm. And they don't care. Like They forgot about the horrible thing they did to you. But yet you're still living with it. You're still giving it power and giving that person power. And that's why I get teary-eyed because I believe that you that are listening, you don't have to hold on to that for so long. And you can pray to break out of it. That's so interesting. It just reminded me of something that I read. One of my girlfriends posted this. And when hurt people hurt others is because they grew up not having their needs met. Mm. And sometimes we don't realize that when somebody's hurting us, They've been through hell. Yeah, like that saying, right? Hurt yeah. people hurt people. Yeah. So like I'm going to read something really quick that yeah. I just came to mind. So if you grew up not having your needs met to cope, you might gossip, abuse drugs or alcohol, manipulate others, create drama, ignore <laughs> your feelings and blame others for where you are currently stuck at. It's uh, that victim mentality. Yeah. And it's not to minimize that whatever happened to you, it is horrible. It is what it is. But there's got to come a point in time where you say, I want to be free of that. And I'm breaking the chains that you no longer have that power over me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basta. Basta. With that being said, and I hope you already got something out of this in case you can't hear the rest of my story and how my family immigrated to the United States. It all began uh, with my parents, mi papa. Nació en Tototlán, Jalisco, Mexico, in 1942. Rest in peace. And I apologize if there's moments where I break down throughout the story. As as I reflect on everything my mom and my dad have sacrificed Mm -hmm. for my brothers and I to be where we're at today, it's tough because... My dad passed away two months ago and is now in heaven. And so it's a a trigger. And Mm. again, for those of you that have lost a loved one, (laughs) you never know when these triggers are going to pop up. You you think you're fine. And the next, you know, you're talking about a certain subject and it triggers you to cry and and, and it's fine. It's okay. You need to cry. You need to let it out, you know. But my dad was born in Tototlan, Jalisco, Mexico, which is about an hour away from Guadalajara. Sí, señor. Como diría tu papá. Sí, así diría. My mom was born in Ocotlan, Jalisco, Mexico, a town about 20 minutes away from Tototlan. And at a very young age, my dad, who's the firstborn of over six kids, they moved to Ocotlan, my mom's hometown. One of the things that I remember the most that he's taught me And that's why it's so important for you to share your story with your children, or if you don't have kids yet, with your nieces and nephews, with your little cousins, with your little brothers and sisters, because you learn so much to appreciate and to know everything that was sacrificed for you. But one of the first things I learned from my dad is like, he told me he grew up super poor and they lived in this home in Ocotan, Jalisco that didn't have a floor, meaning 
Not that they were floating. <laughs> <laughs> Pero no tenía piso. O sea, no tenía cemento. They like, didn't have cement. Like tile. Or, no. Okay. It was legit a dirt floor. Okay. Pero his mom, every morning and every afternoon, she would put a little bit of water on their dirt floor inside of their house oh. and sweep. Se ponía a barrer. So that there wouldn't be any loose dirt. Dusty. Uh-huh. And dusty. And I remember my dad shared this story with me because he said, mi home. Oh, this is going to be tough. He said, your appearance and your cleanliness should have nothing to do with your socioeconomic level. No importa que seas pobre or rico or in between. It doesn't matter if you're poor or rich or in between. That is not an excuse for you to not be clean. Yeah. And represent yourself in a good manner, in a good way. Mm-hmm. Proper. And that's what he, yeah, in a proper way. That's how he, what he learned from his mom. And anyways, he went to elementary school. He went to the school till about sixth grade. And then he got pulled out of school um, because he had to help and start working. Like his parents pulled his him parents out? His parents pulled him out, out oh. of school porque ya tenían más hermanitos y hermanitas. They had more kids and they needed help financially. His, how old was he? He was in sixth grade. So he must have been 11 years old, 10 or 11 years old. <gasps> and he started working selling jello on the streets. And everything he brought back, he would bring to f- be able to feed his family, his brothers and his sisters in Jalisco, Mexico. But something that was remarkable about that is that growing up, my dad had so much knowledge and wisdom about history and yes. life. And he would help me with my homework, and s- even though he didn't understand English that well. But he would know how to write very well in, in-, in Spanish, excuse me, and... He was a, what I would consider an educated person. I would have never known he only went to sixth grade. Was he like self-taught? So one day I asked when I was old enough to realize like, uh-huh. wait, you didn't go to school. ¿Cómo lo hiciste? <laughs> ¿Cómo es que sabes? <laughs> he said he would borrow books from his friends. Oh. And when he would come home from selling Jello, he would read them and teach himself. Like the classmates he had. Yes, that oh. they were still going to school and he couldn't, but that didn't stop him from learning. What an amazing example, Pachuño. And that's the first example of how you don't have to be a victim of your circumstances. Yeah. He could have easily been like, soy una persona que no tiene escuela, or I didn't go to school, so therefore I don't know, so I don't know much. But no, he did something about it. He created an opportunity solution. for him to learn and a solution. Anyways, uh, my mom and him actually met in elementary school. Oh, that's so cool. And then when he got pulled out, they didn't see each other ever again until my dad turned 18 and they were both out of school. They saw each other in La Plaza de Ocotlán, Jalisco, Mexico, which is kind of like the downtown area where everybody goes and hangs out, goes to church. You go there, you grab a chocomil. Oh, los licuados ahí están bien ricos. Los en licuados en Ocotlán, uh-huh. en Ocotlán Jalisco, mm-hmm. my hometown. Uh, you go hang out and there's a kiosk. There's a kiosk in the middle. And usually there's music playing and the ladies and the gentlemen would go around and walk around. Like and, live music, right? Yeah. yeah. Like a banda or... Trio, banda, mariachi. It's beautiful. You go there Sunday nights, Saturday nights, and you basically go hang out and holler at girls. Y le dabas una flor. And they reconnected that way. And my dad remembered her from elementary school. Wow. Y bueno... To now make a long story short, they started dating low-key because obviously at that time, Mexican parents were super strict strict Mm -hmm. and machista and maybe still today. (laughs) 
Pero nada, mi papá le llevaba serenata. He would say serenade her at like a kitty corner so he couldn't be right in front of her house, but she knew it was for her. Um, I remember your mom says that he would always wear a green suit. Traje <laughs> verde. Suit he had. <laughs> I guess she would make fun of him not knowing that he was poor, but hey, he made an impact. Ahí viene el del traje verde. <laughs> que las hermanas le decían eso. Uh -huh. Ya llegó tu galán con su traje verde. That's so cool. Uh, your man's is here with the green suit, the only suit he owned. <laughs> Anyways, my dad then eventually immigrated to the U.S. to work in the fields um, in the Bay Area in Cupertino to be exact. And he started working there in the fields with other immigrants and other migrant workers. From there, he was writing to my mom, handwritten notes, letters, mm -hmm. still keeping in touch. Qué romantico. And then he noticed that my mom stopped writing him. So at one point she was writing back? Yeah. And then she stopped? She stopped, babe. Oh. And he was like, what's going on? <gasps> he somehow figured out a way to call and he figured out that Somebody had told my mom that allegedly he had another girlfriend in the United States. Like Ooh, some hater, uh -huh. a cheese man. So legit, my dad left his job in the U.S., in the fields, and went back to Mexico, to Cotan Jalisco, to tell her like, yo, that's a lie. Wait, so at what was he here with a, with a working visa or he just left and risked it all again and just to go see her? Yeah, he was here with a working visa okay, so he to was be able to do migrant work. And then he went back to Mexico and to tell my mom and basically propose. Wow. Like, eso es una mentira. Yo te amo a ti. Tú eres la única. Wow. You are the only one, you know? And long story short, they ended up getting married. And they had my two older brothers, Jorge and my brother, Eddie, who many of you know as Piolín, who's a radio host, and George, who's an executive pastry chef uh, now as adults. And my brothers are 14 and 12 years older than I am. Mm-hmm. I was a surprise in my family. Fui sorpresa. There's no doubt about it. A beautiful surprise. Thank you. To me. Thank, Thank you. you my mom says they had no idea. They were 40 years old when they got pregnant. And oh, my gosh. I can't imagine. They, I can't imagine that. At 40, I'm still going to be going. So don't trip. <laughs> I don't know about that, baby. We still have hope. Pero bueno. Uh, they said they went to the doctor because my mom wasn't feeling well. And she thought, like, something was up with her stomach. And uh, she's like, doctor, I don't know if it was like the frijoles from last night. No sé she's qué onda. Ando bloated. No me siento bien. And the doctor's like, no, man, somebody put a baby in you. <laughs> and that somebody was my dad, obviously. Entonces, there I was. Um, when they were 40, I was their baby. Se le chispoteó mi jefe, el pilón. And I was born in Ocotan, Jalisco, Mexico. And huge age difference with my brothers. How was that growing up with your brothers? Like, I can't imagine having brothers or siblings that are almost... 20 years older than me. Oh, yeah. 12, 14. I mean, it's like having two more dads <laughs> because they're not your brothers. Yeah. Son tus papás, you know, they order you around. They would they would spank me. They would me regañaban. They would give me orders. They would have me wash their cars. <laughs> uh, but I bet they did really cool things, too. Yeah, no, I was definitely blessed. Era el chiquiado, you know, oh. uh, when it came to Christmas time or birthdays or whatever. Like, <laughs> they would celebrate me. But no, it was difficult. And But I thank them because they were so strict and they built this work ethic that I now have, you know, along with my parents. Yeah. So we were in Ocotran, Jalisco, Mexico at the time. And my dad uh, worked at uh, Celanese, which is uh, one of the biggest factories at that time in Ocotran, Jalisco, Mexico. He became... 
somebody that helped out the community a lot and represented Selanese and then represented the local government. And what his job was outside of El Selanese and working at that factory was basically finding ways for people that worked in Selanese, this company, to be able to afford and get affordable housing and build their own homes and be able to afford them. So he would lobby for them with the local government. Es lo que le llaman Infonavit. Como el Infonavit in Mexico. Uh These are homes that are uh, basically low-income homes. Mm -hmm. He became super involved in it, always serving the community. Mm -hmm. And it was always extra. My mom always supported him in that because he had his family. But then besides his job, he would work extra in helping others out. Yeah, especially the poor. And not that we were rich in any way, shape or form, but he was always lobbying for other people that didn't have the opportunities that he had. Right. To this day, when I go back to Ocotlan, Jalisco, Mexico, and people I have no idea that I even know stop me or know that I'm my dad's son. They're like, man, no nos conoces, pero gracias a tu papá tenemos nuestra casa. You know, like you don't know us, but thanks to your dad, we were able to purchase our home. Yeah. You know, so I'm really proud of that. After that, he ended up going after his passion project was being a photographer. And he had his own studio in photography. In Ocotlán? In Ocotlán, taking pictures at weddings, quinceañeras, primeras, comuniones, etc. And then there came a time where my brother George, the oldest, was really good at soccer. So he's a teenager now. Okay. You weren't even like in the picture. Well, he's a teenager. So he was at the end of high school. I must have been probably four years old oh, okay. at the time. And my brother George, he was about 17 or 18, playing semi-professional soccer for a team by the name of Atlas. That's amazing. In Mexico, mm-hmm. in Guadalajara, which is huge. Playing pro soccer in Mexico is like At that age? the biggest thing. <laughs> yeah. And he was at one level before going to the pros. Wow. And he started partying it up, drinking it up, everything. You know, just turning up because he had the wrong crew around him. Everything up. Like, yo, <laughs> bro, you're about to become a pro soccer player. You're it. Se la creyó. And obviously my pops was super strict and he didn't want any of that. So they would clash a lot. And my brother would be like, yo, pops, you don't want me to be free. You want to hold me down. You want to kill my fun. My dad ended up like not allowing him to go out anymore. So my brother would sneak out. And I remember one time he he was using a friend's uh, little moped, like scooter motorcycle. <laughs> make, make. <laughs> yeah, like you do delivery for pizzas in Mexico. <laughs> and I remember one time, I actually remember this. Oh, okay. He crashed the moped because he would go out drinking so much and oh, be drunk all the time. He, he would back. come back home from una peda, just oh. borrachera, straight up drunk. And he literally parked the moped inside the house and crashed into <laughs> oh, our sofa. Gosh. Like valet parking in la sala, in the living room. And my dad came down, and I'm not proud of this, but this is real life. They got into it verbally and fisicamente, physically. They got into it. And I remember my dad, my brother saying, Dad, you're not letting me have my fun. And shortly after, Jorge, my brother, ended up immigrating to the United States, crossed the border through Tijuana, and running across the hills, jumping the fence with a coyote. Almost about to become a professional soccer player. And then he's crossing the border illegally, going yeah. through those hills. Wow. And he ended up um, coming here to Southern California and ended up working as a dishwasher. Now, nothing wrong with that. Nope. Very respectful job. Yeah. But he went from potentially becoming a pro soccer player to being a dishwasher. And you know who he, who he would blame for that, that he didn't become a soccer player? Himself? His parents. <gasps> my dad and my mom. He was being a victim Mm. and finding 
who to blame for what he didn't accomplish, even though he caused it himself. Yeah. And then my brother Eddie eventually immigrated and crossed the border as well to check on my brother George and find out what was going on with him at a very young age. I mean, he was still a high school student, de la prepa. Wow. And I remember that I was about five years old when my parents told me, mijo, vamos a ir a California. We're going to California para que conozcas a Mickey Mouse. Wow. So you can meet Mickey Mouse. And we crossed the border and we ended up. Did you and your parents cross the border through like the hills too? No. So the way oh. I crossed the border is that a friend of my parents who had documents, he was a U.S. citizen, Fermin. Oh, okay. And his wife mm -hmm. is their name. They actually met my parents in Tijuana, Mexico. And then I crossed the border as their child. Okay. In their car, a través de la línea. Got it. And back then, it was super chill at the border. They weren't asking too many things. But they said I was crying the whole time. <laughs> Niño Llorón. Yeah. And that's how I crossed the border, undocumented. And we came over, and they're like, you're going to meet Mickey Mouse. And the only raton I met, the only mouse I met was the one living in the garage with us. <laughs> you know? We ended up crossing the border, and thankfully, mi tía nena y mi tío Manuel and my cousins allowed us to stay in their home in mm -hmm. Santa Ana, California, in this back room. We're all living in one room. That's why I always say you'll never hear a Latina mom say to you when you misbehave, Edgar, go to your room. Because it's like, we all live in one room, you know? <laughs> like, ¿a dónde nos vamos a mandar? No such thing. <laughs> right? Pero we were living in this back room, and I didn't realize how poor we were or what we were going through because we were rich in the things that mattered. Although my family was not perfect, and let me just tell you, there's no such thing as a perfect family. Cada familia tiene sus problemas. So even though we weren't rich, financially mm -hmm. financially speaking, we were rich in the things that mattered. La unión. Family unity. Mm -hmm. We were rich in hope and in faith that God had plans to prosper us and not to harm us. And that if we work hard enough in this country, we can become something. And what's so beautiful about this story is, and what I thank my parents for, is that my mom and dad sacrificed everything they had built in Mexico, yeah. sacrificed not being around their family and everything to come to this new country to be able to keep the family united and to save their son, Jorge Sotelo. The love conquered. He was an alcoholic. And my dad and my mom were like, we need to save him. And we're willing to give up everything for him. And they did. And I remember my dad at one point would get so frustrated that he wanted to give up. But my mom was the one that wouldn't give up on my brother, George. Really? And she would go out late at night and I would go with her to translate. And we would go into like bars. Where at? And nightclubs in Santana, California. In Santana. To go look to see if my brother was in there. And I would translate for her. And she would pull him out of bars. And he would come home. And I, excuse me for being so graphic, but he would puke blood. Because of his drinking problem. And my mom would cry and say, Jorge, please stop. And that's why I don't believe that anybody can change you. You have to make that decision to change. Why? Because we tried everything, babe, to change my brother. You know, and that's when I realized that your actions don't just impact you, but they impact your whole family, the people that love you. My brother George always said, es mi vida, it's my life, let me live it. You lived your life, he would say to my parents. Now let me live mine. So do you remember vividly going into those yeah. bars? What do you remember? Well, they wouldn't allow me in, but right. I would stay at the front and I would translate for my mom. At the door? Yeah. And then my, we would say, hey, can you let my mom in? We're looking for my brother. And then she would wow. go in 
and I would stay with the security guard, and then she would come out pulling my brother George out. Wow, that's very brave of your mom going into these bars. I know, it's wild, it's crazy. <laughs> the love, huh? But I thank her because that's the love of a mother. Mm-hmm. Jesus talks about he's our shepherd, right? He may have a hundred sheep, but if one goes away, he's going to stop anything that's going on yeah. to go look for that one lost sheep. That's that kind of unconditional love. Yeah. One day, my brother ended up drinking so much that he ended up in the hospital. And he ended up with an ulcer in his liver, and he was about to pass away. And at that time, Fermin, who's the gentleman that helped me cross the border, had obviously become really good friends with my dad. My dad worked at a one-hour photo shop developing film and pictures. In Santana. In Santana, California. And Fermin was a worship leader at a church. And he would come every Monday to develop the pictures from Sunday's church service. Y le hablaba de Dios a mi papá. And we were always believers, you know. My dad was always a man of faith. I remember that. But Fermín was talking about this personal relationship with God that you could have, right? And I remember my dad calling Fermín over to the hospital because doctors are like, yo, your son needs surgery by tomorrow or else he could end up dying. And Fermín went over there to pray. I was about eight years old at the time. And I remember praying for my brother George because I'm thinking he's going to die. And I remember I saw him as a dad, right? Yeah. I remember praying to God, God, If you heal my brother, I promise you, I will follow you for the rest of my life. And nada, the next day we come back to the hospital to visit my brother George, and literally a miracle happened. His ulcer was gone. So he didn't need a surgery? Doctors were shocked, babe. They were amazed. Like, he doesn't need surgery. He's good to go. Wow. And you know what he did? He stopped drinking? You would hope. He went out and partied and celebrated. No. <laughs> The George. fact that he didn't die. <laughs> Se fue otra borrachera. Oh, estaba por ti, Dios. Gracias. Ah. Yeah. Yo, this is for the homie. Jesus right here saving my life. Salud, compa. Otra caguama. Ay, Jorge. And that's what I learned, babe. Again, there's nothing we can do or say that can change you. All we can do is give you the information and encourage others. But at the end of the day, it's their choice if they want to change or not. That's true. And eventually... He started a better relationship with God and he ended up changing and now he's got a beautiful family, married his amazing wife, Lupita. He's got three kids, Yasmin, who's the oldest, who graduated with a biology degree and is working to get into becoming a doctor or a nurse practitioner. She's kind of debating that right now. Uh, my nephew, Eddie, who you guys have heard us talk about, has got an amazing heart and he studied film. And he's now my producer on our radio show, Shaboy Show. And Georgie, who was a surprise in the family, keeping it alive, <laughs> who's an awesome soccer player himself, lecha muchas ganas, and he's in high school right now. But imagine how different my niece and nephew's lives would have been, babe, if my brother George would still be an alcoholic today. So what made him stop drinking? Is his kids. Oh, okay. His kids made him stop drinking. Because wow. he saw the negative impact he was having. They became his why. They became his why. That's good. That no matter the what was happening or challenge or alcoholism or whatever it may be, the why was that much more powerful that he overcame it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm talking about is that the enemy will send destruction, alcoholism, all these crazy things into your life and into your family's life. But at the end of the day, you have the final choice to break those chains and not be a victim to them and instead be a creator and use those 
bad things that happen to you and at the end work together for good. And thank God now he's the executive pastry chef and has been the executive pastry chef for many years for Disneyland's California Grand Resort Hotel. And I am so proud of him. He's won many awards yeah. uh, for being one of the best executive pastry chefs in the world and in the nation and in Southern California. And most importantly, I finally got to meet Mickey Mouse. And for free. For free. <laughs> más importante, the American dream, no? Conocer a Mickey Mouse. Yeah, no, so he's, a, he's amazing at what he does. And then my brother, Eddie, uh, he ended up getting involved in radio. And you guys know him as Violin. But there was a moment in time where he was doing really well in Sacramento. And people became envious of him because he was working as an undocumented immigrant and with fake documentation. You know, social security that you get at El Cardenas or El Vallarta or Rancho Supermarket or Echo Park. You know, you just get that fake Mika or the fake green card um, and work permit. So he's working and another coworker ended up calling immigration on him. Because your brother is succeeding at this moment, right? Yeah. So they didn't like that. He's like, ¿Cómo este que no yeah. tiene papeles? Mm. Y gracias a Dios and his current uh, boss and company where he was working at got him a lawyer, an immigration lawyer, to try to help him out. And I remember my family and I, we all drove up to San Francisco because my brother Eddie was having his court hearing and that day was going to be decided if he got deported or wow. not. Wow. Because he was working without proper documents and real remember, life stuff yeah real situations and i remember it's like literally immigration la migra versus my brother and they made a case for him and his immigration lawyer is like yo this guy has helped out the community so much he's done fundraisers he's done rallies he's done etc etc to be a positive contribution to our society he deserves to stay in this country yeah legally and in immigration was a you know, fighting against him. Like, no, he broke the law. He's undocumented. He has these fake documentations. It's a felony and so on and so forth. And then the judge comes out. And I remember the judge says, at this moment in time, all I want to say is that I wish there were more residents, there were more citizens like Eddie Sotelo. Wow. That were doing such amazing work for their community. Yeah. Those are the kinds of people that we need in our country. Eddie? You're going to have to pay this XYZ fine for breaking the law. Okay. But as of today, here's your work permit and you could stay here legally. Glory to God. Wow. And it was all worth it, babe, because he was being part of the solution and not the problem in this society. And long story short, he's become a pioneer of Spanish radio, a pioneer in the movement for nosotros los inmigrantes, for us immigrants, and he's known as Piolín por la Mañana. Uh, and he's heard in all kinds of cities across the nation. And I'm super proud of him. He's been such an inspiration yeah. for, for me. And then there was me. He's like, good luck, mijo. You know, 12 years younger than everybody else. And I'm coming along. At a very young age, I start working with my dad, taking pictures and photos at quinceañeras and weddings, learning that work ethic. I remember there'd be times where I couldn't go to my soccer games because I had to go work. And my dad was super strict with me. Times where I would be playing soccer, babe. I remember that if I wasn't doing well, he would just literally go in the field and pull me out and tell the coach, he's not going to play today. No le está echando ganas. He's not giving it his all. So he doesn't deserve to be here. I'm going to take him work instead. Wow, it's like that's amazing. That level, babe, <laughs> otro nivel. So he just, he always expected so much of me, but he always spoke truth into my life. He would always say, mijo, prepárate, because you don't just represent yourself. You represent the Sotelo family. You represent 
our past and your future. How do you want to represent your family? As the problem or the solution? Tu papá siempre hablaba bien bonito, así como que, no, Dios está contigo, Dios te va a prosperar. Like very empowering words would oh, come out of his mouth. I want to encourage that to you that are parents. It's so important that you speak those empowering words to your children, even if they don't even understand them yet, at a very young age. Speak truth into their life, how they're going to be amazing leaders, how they are smart, how they are beautiful, how they are wonderfully and uniquely made by God, and that they have plans to be prosperous and to make it. Love, I know your mom and dad spoke a lot of faith into you guys, but knowing that you are undocumented, did you ever fear you could be deported? I would say that there had to be a sense of fear. But yeah, I mean, they had sacrificed so much to keep the family united. At any moment, immigration could come and separate our family. I do remember the first time I figured out in a way that I was undocumented is I was getting dropped off for the first grade with my mom walking me to school. And on the first day of school, she gave me my tia's phone number, mi tia nena. Mm-hmm. And she's like, here's your aunt's number. For emergency. If for whatever reason, yeah, for an emergency, if I don't show up to pick you up after school, call this number and they'll be here for you. And now I know that it's because she could be deported on her walk back home or my dad could get deported at any moment. We've seen redadas happen all the time. People getting deported for no reason except for being here without documents. Right. So that was wild. Imagine you being a kid, six, seven years old. And not knowing if your mom or your dad are going to be there after school because who knows, La Migra could take them. And then eventually, thank God, because my dad worked in the fields in agriculture through the amnistia of Ronald Reagan mm-hmm. and immigration reform, the same way your parents were able to get their green card love because right. they worked in the fields. My dad was able to apply for a green card eventually. And I remember when I was 10 years old, we flew down to Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. And at that time, it was a one-way ticket because we were going to go get interviewed by immigration, but on the Mexico side of the border Oh, to see if we could get a green card or not. And we had a one-way ticket because they could have said no. And then wow, speak we about faith. couldn't jump on the plane and come back to California. Pero gracias a Dios, uh, we were interviewed. They saw that my parents were good people, good character, doing positive things in America. And we were blessed with our green card. And ever since that day, I've had documentation. But there are a lot of people, close to 11 million, that are still today living with that fear, in that shadow, that at any moment, their family could be separated. Yeah. And that's a tough reality. Mm-hmm. And I think with more reason after that, when I got into school, and I remember one of the most life-changing moments in my life was in high school. It was 10th grade, and I was in honors English. Oh, it killed me. <laughs> Hey, kill me, what's your name? I was one of the few Latinos in my honors English class. That's amazing, baby. Thank you, baby. At that time, we had moved out of Santa Ana, California. We lived in an apartment at the time there. And then I went to Garfield Elementary and Hoover Elementary. And then we moved out to Inland Empire, Riverside, Miraloma area to be exact. And we finally were able to buy a house. We all chipped in, even myself, from working all those days at Quinceañeras and Bodas and all that stuff. Uh, the money that my dad would give me was going towards the down payment of this house. He taught me at a very young age to save and to build towards that. I was in high school and I was always the class clown in school. I like to call it class entertainer. It felt (laughs) like it just sounded cool. I didn't like seeing people not having fun. What would you do? 
So I would bust jokes. I would do something ridiculous para que se riera la gente. In English? Yeah, or Espanol, uh -huh. whatever. No, but in, in your English class in or in English all class, of In all of the okay. classes, babe. Oh. But I always knew my limits. Okay. <laughs> you know, like I always knew. Like, do you remember like in elementary school, they would pull different cards depending on how you were behaving? Like a red one and... Yeah, like a red card, I mean, like you got detention. Yellow was like a warning. Green was meaning that you're being good all day. And I was like, Ty, I got a green card. Pero, <laughs> <laughs> but the, that kind of stuff, I always knew my limit. But anyways, this time, me pasé de lanza. I went too far. I was in honors class, 10th grade, Hooper Valley High School. We had one of the strictest teachers you could ever imagine. Think of the most strict teacher you ever had, that you weren't allowed to talk, laugh, or anything like that. Nada es madre. That was her. She was this older uh, Caucasian lady, super strict, high expectations. And it was about a week into class, and there was this girl behind me that would always shake my desk. You know those book racks at the bottom? Yeah. Where, and then people sat behind you, and they would put, put their, their feet, feet uh -huh. on your metal book rack. And they would shake them. Yep. Oh, that was so annoying. So I estaba yo en clase and my desk is shaking like I had hydraulics on it or something, you know? Low ride. <laughs> and I would tell her to stop. I was like, hey, Amber, you think you can stop shaking my desk? And she was a cheerleader, super cute girl. She's like, oh my God, no. And I was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> so one day, babe, I remember I woke up that day and I was like looking at myself in the mirror. And I was like, today's the day, Edgar. You're going to stand up for yourself. Ooh. even though it was only like four feet tall. <laughs> and I went to class that day. I sat down and Amber started shaking my desk. <gasps> and I ended up reaching behind me and down. And oh. I ended up tying her shoelaces <laughs> to my desk. <laughs> Le amarré las agujetas a mi escritorio. And the worst thing possible happened next. What? I'll tell you coming up next. So picking up where we left off, I was in my honors English class with the strictest teacher that you could ever think of, and I had tied my classmates' shoelaces to my desk. Sorry, Amber, that my husband did that to you many, many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Legit, sorry. About two to three minutes later, she raises her hand, and she's like, Miss Buckow, can I go to the restroom? <laughs> oh, my God. And I was like, oh, chetos, this is not good. She has no idea that her shoes are tied to my desk. Oye, babe, ¿qué habilidad con tus manitas? Gracias. <laughs> babe, there's an advantage to having small hands. <laughs> I can like trying to picture you like tying her shoelaces underneath the desk. Entonces, she raised her hand. She has to go to the bathroom and his book out says, yes, you may. Amber tried to get up, babe. And even though she was in cheerleading, she has never done a move like that. Se cayó. She tried to get out. And she tried to pull her foot. Oh, yeah. Se salió y se cayó to the side. And everybody in class started laughing. You got to remember, we couldn't laugh. We couldn't talk in that class. So people across the room didn't even know what was happening. They just started laughing. Even the guy in the back that was kind of missing a tooth and now chimuelo el compa. <laughs> homeboy was laughing. Everybody's cracking up. And our teacher's like, what happened, Amber? And Amber's like, Edgar tied my shoelaces to his desk. And I was like, ah, chetos. And my teacher goes, Edgar... Flame. Go outside. Flaming hot chatos. Flaming hot chatos. <laughs> She's like, Edgar, go outside. Ching. And I remember walking outside 
And again, I've never been in like crazy trouble because I knew that if my parents found out I did something wrong. Do you wait peor? Oh, peor. <laughs> el chancletazo, el fajo, you name it. It was going to be and worse if your parents knew. My brothers would find oh, out. that's right. And they were like my dad too. You know, everybody would discipline me. And so I was sitting outside and this is one of the things that changed me forever. My teacher walks outside, this older Caucasian lady, super strict, serious face, looks me straight in the eyes and says, Edgar, I should send you up to the principal's office right now, but I'm not going to waste my time on you because <gasps> you're not going to make it in this honors English class anyway. Ouch. And then she walked back inside. How many of you believe that that potentially could have been some racism, some discrimination because I'm an immigrant, because I'm Mexicano? What do you mean I'm not going to make it in your honors English class anyway? What does it mean you don't want to waste your time on me? I'm not worth it. And it's so easy to fall into that victim mentality. Right. Poor little me, poor little Edgar, poor little showboycito. It's the racist white lady's fault. And again, I'm not saying racism or discrimination doesn't exist. Absolutely it exists. But I'm not going to fall victim to it. It's not going to hold me back from trying to succeed and break through. Yeah. It might make things harder, but I'm not going to quit because I know my why. And that's the day that I figured out my why. The reality is that Ms. Buckout wasn't being racist or discriminating against me. It's just she didn't want to waste her time on me because I was choosing to be a clown in her class. You were and the one mess messing around. Up. Uh-huh. It was my actions, not hers. Yeah. And that's the difference between being a victim and a creator and being accountable. And as I sat outside, guys, that, that, that classroom, it hit me. How am I representing my family today? When my teacher, Ms. Buckout, sees my last name, Sotelo, when my classmates hear my name, do they think of my family as losers or champions? As victims or creators? Yeah. As clowns, y una pérdida de tiempo, or somebody that wants to do something great with their life? And that's when it hit me, y'all. ¿Cómo estoy representando mi familia? I represent so much more than just myself. I represent my family. Their sacrifices, and I don't want it to be in vain. One of the hardest things that I got to see ever. And you know, babe, how strong my mom is. And even to this day, how strong she is after losing my father, who they've been married for over 50 years, and how strong she's been. Mm -hmm. She was this strong even back then. One of the hardest things I ever got to see is her get a call from Mexico from one of her sisters, my mom being one of the oldest sisters, one of my grandma's favorite daughters, if you will. She got a call from her sister in Mexico. We were living here in Southern California already. It was about 4 a.m. in the morning. And I remember waking up because I heard my mom weeping, crying. And I remember this vividly. She was on the phone crying. And to this day, I had not seen my mom cry like this, except maybe for when my brother George was drinking his guts out. But she was crying on the phone because she found out. And her sister said to her, Belia, nuestra mamá acaba de fallecer. Belia, which is my mom's name, our mom just passed away. And my mom was crying because she wasn't able to be there for her mom, my grandma, for her last moments. Mm. To tell her how much she loved her, to thank her for everything she had done for her, she was unable to be there because she sacrificed all of that for my brothers and I to stay united and to have a better future. And how was I representing that sacrifice in that class that day? Hmm. Like a clown. 
And I went back in Miss Buckout's class, and I ended up getting an A in her class. Good job, babe. Glory to God. And from there, I went on and I went to college. I got my bachelor's in psychology. I have a passion for people, for empowering people, encouraging people. And then after I got my bachelor's in psychology, I thought I was going to go into politics because I wanted to help people out more in education. And it was between politics and, and entertainment. And now it's the same thing, basically. <laughs> Pero I got accepted to George Washington University in D.C. Woo-hoo. to go study politics out there. One of the best programs, top five programs in the nation. At that time, entertainment was already opening up doors for me. So I decided to stay and give myself a year. If things don't work out for me in entertainment, then, you know, I'll go work in politics. What were you doing in that year? In that year, I was wrapping up my master's program um, because I ended up staying in L.A. and I got a master's degree in leadership out of Azusa Pacific University, a private Christian university, which is amazing. I got to learn about leadership and empowering people and being a servant leader, not just academically, but from the best possible leadership book which is the bible and learning from jesus by the way that was one of the things that like turned me on like oh this guy does no 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 that this guy doesn't only talk for a living he's educated (laughs) thank you love yeah and uh yes jesus can be sexy (laughs) it's funny because when i graduated with my master's in leadership my whole family was like great yeah you're going to go work now in at an office politics or uh, become some corporate head and blah, blah, blah company. Cause I had offers to go work at target in some really good positions, you know, making like 80 grand a year right off the bat at like oh, 22. Dang it. At like, I'm just <laughs> at like 23 years old. I know you would have liked to hook up at target, babe. Um, but igual y no nos hubiéramos conocido. Correcto. I would have stayed probably here in SoCal yeah. or something, but my passion was connecting with people through entertainment. And at that time I was working, putting stickers on cars for a radio station here in Los Angeles. And my parents were like, when I told them, oh, I'm going to stick to radio and entertainment. They're like, thought it was a joke. Uh-huh. And I was like, yo, you don't understand though. The way I put stickers on, it's like one handed, no bubbles. Were you working with your brother, Eddie? Yeah. Okay. So I was working with my brother, Eddie, but the crazy thing about it is that he didn't want me to work in radio oh okay because he's like yo man this is a crazy field like anything can change at any moment you went to college you got a psychology degree you were the first in our family to go to college and graduate you got a master's degree do something with that do something with that that's stable Mm -hmm. unlike radio and he was totally against me getting into radio and i had to work for free to prove that i wanted to get in it for the right reasons and not because of quote-unquote fame or to party or whatever it may be it wasn't until I got my first full-time radio gig in San Francisco. Where we met. Where we met <laughs> that my brother saw, because he had gone up to San Francisco. We worked for the same company at the time. And he saw at a concert how much love people were showing. Shabba. Yeah, to what we were doing that he told me, man, you know, congratulations. I see people yeah. love and support you. And I just want you to know that I believe in you. And both of your brothers are very supportive. Oh, yeah. They're just very like cautious of, you know. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It was a blessing. It was a journey. And I just want to encourage you um, before we wrap up that whatever it is that's your passion, whatever God-given talents you have, the things that you want to accomplish in life, there can be people, especially people you love and you care for, like your brothers, like your parents, that may not understand your calling yeah. and may be against it. But you got to know that as long as you're working and doing something to reach that goal, 
it's worth it. And just had your parents and your brothers or whomever, they had their opportunity to do what they wanted career-wise in their life. You also have that freedom. Mm. So don't let people's disbelief distract you or fear that yeah. you may not make it be contagious and stop you from making decisions based on faith. Don't allow their fears to be imposed on your life yeah. and their doubt. Mm-hmm. And they don't mean it in a bad way. They just love and want the best for you. Y bueno, gracias a Dios. And like we've shared in previous episodes, thanks to that, I got to meet Janet. I got to go to Dallas and do radio there. And things went really well there. We got to go to New York and back here in LA. And now we're entrepreneurs with our own show, uh, the theshaboyshow.com. Check it out. And we're trying to grow it across the nation. And things are going well so far. And we're super grateful for that. But all I got to say is that I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for all those difficult moments. Yeah. And I wouldn't have broken through so many moments where I wanted to quit if I didn't know my why. El sacrificio de tus papás. The unconditional reason why no matter what the problem is, le voy a echar muchas ganas to continue moving forward. I love that, babe. And we just want to wrap up this episode by asking you, how are you representing your family's legacy? What's your legacy? And I know that some of you might be sitting here hearing the story and be like, yo, Edgar, that's dope that you don't want your parents' sacrifice to go in vain. But my parents were whack. I had a horrible upbringing. Yeah. My parents messed up. I just want to encourage you and say that if your parents made mistakes, you don't have to repeat them. Mm-hmm. Do not be a victim to their past. Instead, become a creator and break through those chains of negativity and become a new branch in your family tree. You know how there's a family tree? I love that. Even yeah. de la raíz, you can become a new branch to your family tree that produces better, kinder, wiser, more prosperous fruit instead of that old, bitter, rotten fruit. It's deep. You are the change that you wanted to see in your parents so many years. Mm. You can be that change. You are that leader now. You are the one setting the tone. Yes. It all starts with you. Si se puede, de la mano de Dios. Because remember, God has plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but to give you hope. hope and a future. Los quiero mucho. Yo también. <laughs> That's awesome. That's my family story, and I'm sticking to it. <sighs> We're not a perfect family whatsoever, but we've always been driven by keeping our family united. Life isn't easy, but we just got to keep working hard. By serving and loving God Amen. and knowing that our actions matter and that you are worth a lot, even if the world tells you otherwise. You are worth it. You are valued. And you got to say that out loud. Do you want to wrap up in a little prayer? I'm down. Do you want to lead with that? And then I'll close it up, please. Yeah. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this moment, Lord, that we get to share your word that we get to share our stories with others. And I just pray that that you may lift up people's burdens right now, Lord. Whatever is heavy on people's hearts right now, we just give them up to you. May you just bless them and bless all of us so we can be a blessing to others, Lord. And we just thank you for the great opportunities that are to come Mm. and the better days that are to come ahead, Lord. And we just thank you in advance for greater opportunities for us to continue to leave a legacy. Yes, Lord, we thank you that... As people are listening to this, there are some people right now that they don't feel worthy 
they don't feel capable, they don't feel like they deserve for great things to happen in their life. And Lord, I want to pray specifically for those people. Yeah. I want to sp- I want to pray specifically for you that you don't feel like you're worth it. I want to tell you that you are. And the fact that you're listening to this podcast right now is not an accident. It was meant to be. Porque es lo mucho que te quiere Dios. It's how much God loves you. He'll even use us. Just a random couple that <laughs> decided to start a podcast and share their stories. He decided to use this moment to tell you that you're worth it and that you're going to make it to not quit, that your pain right now is creating endurance and character and building up your strength to win the battles in the future, that this is just boot camp so that you can be prepared for war and battles and not only be prepared for them, but to win them. Amen. You are more than a conqueror. You are victorious. Even though we may lose some battles, we are victorious ultimately in the end in the eyes of God. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Uh, we got some good news. Uh, we just found out a few days ago that thanks to you and your support, our podcast was actually highlighted under the Latinx Legacy Podcasts. Oh, speaking of. For Hispanic like Heritage Month on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for like listening to right us. Right there, front page of Apple Podcasts, when you click on the Latinx big old billboard, thanks to you. We were placed there. This is not mine and Janet's podcast. This is your podcast. This is our, our podcast. podcast. What's happening and the beautiful things that are happening through this podcast is happening because we are in this together. Así que muchísimas gracias. Thank you for subscribing on all the platforms that you may hear us on. Spotify, iHeart, Apple, Amazon Music. Uh, but especially on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and rate our podcast. It helps us tremendously. Yeah, and we read them all. Thank you so much. And if you can't get enough of us, you can follow us on social media, hashtag Los Otelos, or on our website, losotelos.com. Gracias, familia, for hanging out with us. Till next Wednesday, remember to love, serve, and celebrate each other and yourself. Don't allow anyone or anything to steal your joy or your peace. We love you. Yes. Y bendiciones. May you have the best day ever. Thanks for listening to Hanging With the Sotelos Podcast. Good morning, Dada. It's a best day over. 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 It's the best